1: Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder at Boldside, where we do HR things. Today on the show, we're talking about HR, actually. We're talking about the question, when to go to HR. And this is something that comes up for so many people in their career, where they're seeing something at work and they think, oh, should I actually talk to someone about this? Is this one of those issues that I need to go and speak to HR about? but often people feel afraid to do that. So we're gonna dispel all the myths about talking to HR and I'm joined by a friend of the show, Sarah Smith. Sarah Smith is a HR practitioner, but she's also the founder of Interview Boss, which is an awesome podcast all about job seeking. She is so much fun, she's been on the show before and she brings such good insight from her own HR background about when to go to HR. So we really get into some tricky and complex questions from our listeners. You're going to love this episode. Super helpful. Enjoy the show. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, thank you for having me back. Round two. Ding, ding, ding. We're making it happen.
2: (laughs) We are. The HR podcast girlies are back.
1: Oh, yeah. and Okay. Today's episode is
2: spicy. We are going to cover when to go to HR. We've got some really amazing listener questions from the Facebook group and some of them are, like you said, they're spicy. We're going to have to really think about our responses here. And I just want to say up front, Sarah and I are both HR professionals have worked in the industry
1: for a long time. So we're coming at it with this this lens to tell you as HR people when Mm -hmm. you should go to HR. So we'll dig into a, a bunch of scenarios, give you all the tips about how to navigate some of these complex issues Let's get into it. First question is from Di, and I'm going to read this. It's a big question, so bear with me. Mm. After never having to go to HR in the 15 years with my employer, I finally had to lodge a complaint when my new male boss decided I was unable to wear a leather skirt to work. He had no issue with the style or length, but just the fact that it was leather. He had no HR policy to support his decision, and I'd worn the skirt for five years with no issues. I found his decision to be biased and potentially discriminatory in nature and while I felt it was a frivolous thing to burden HR, I also felt I needed to fight the decision. HR overturned his decision. They even conducted a pub test of the skirt in question. However, he has yet to apologize or acknowledge the outcome. Needless to say, every woman in my workplace thought me fighting and winning was a win for us all. Oh, this is
2: just like... Like, why did he think that he had the right to police the material that someone was wearing? That's essentially what this is. <laughs> it does make me
1: laugh. Like, and I can imagine it's a very uncomfortable dynamic to have this happen, where you're being critiqued yeah. on the fabric of your skirt.
2: Yeah, and like, I'm sure it's it. It sounds like it was a bit of a principle thing too. Of like, I may not even love this skirt that much, and probably would, you know wouldn't mind not wearing it again. But like, no, you can't do this. And I'm going to prove it. And I kind of like that attitude that she's taken there of like, you, I'm not just going to do this the easy way and stop wearing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess there's this tricky thing when you do decide, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to just cop that. I'm going to go and talk to HR. And then you kind of expect your manager to come back to you and say, hey, look, yeah, sorry. I realised that I was wrong. It's a really tough thing when you raise an issue like this and you get the outcome you want, but then your manager doesn't acknowledge it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the the thoughts that I had on this one was was first of all, well done. I think good on you for standing up for yourself and potentially other people in the workplace. But I don't know that if there's no acknowledgement already, I don't know if it's going to come. This manager may just be deciding to, Ignore it and move on, or they may be holding a grudge <laughs> and are going to move on. So I, I kind of thought, just be careful that make sure that they don't retaliate against you in some way. And I'd be keeping an eye out for that.
1: One of the things that I would encourage, and I'd be keen to know your thoughts on this, Sarah, because especially if you disagree, it's really helpful for listeners mm. to see that. For me, if this happened and I was in this scenario and my manager had come to me and said, My skirt's inappropriate, when I know it's not and I go then to HR to get that decision overturned, I would be actually going back to that manager and saying, hey, look, I think it'd be good if we just chat this through what happened Mm. with this whole skirt issue. And I know it might seem like it's a bit over the top, but for me, I'd be wanting to just say clear the air on it and go, hey, look, I just need to talk about that. For me, I felt like that was a biased decision and I want to talk to and unpack what, what was it for you that made you feel that that was inappropriate? Because when I've talked to HR, they've clarified that it's fine. So can we just unpack this? And it just gives an opportunity to close the loop on some of the awkwardness that's there.
2: Yeah, or even just opening the... Or giving the feedback even to that manager to say, I felt like I had no other option because you weren't willing to discuss this with me in the first place. And um potentially saying that if there's an issue in the future, I really hope that we can you can actually hear my side of the story because I I don't wanna have to bring other people into this if we don't need to in the future.
1: That's such a good point of just clarifying that hey, like we can work this out. Yeah, uh, We don't need to escalate it. But in this scenario, the only option for Di was that she she did need to escalate it because this person yeah. wasn't coming to the party to have that conversation.
2: Yeah. And potentially can, I guess, clear the air where that manager might be thinking, oh, what else are they going to talk to HR about or those biases that might come up for them. Um, it would allow you to address that head on.
1: Absolutely. All right. Should we move to the next one?
2: Yes. Um, this was another comment or a an- not really a question, a comment, I guess. Dom says, HR are there to protect the company, not you. And there were some comments underneath this as well where other people were really chiming in and agreeing. Joanne said... Yes, this is an important lesson to learn, and I hope the episode touches on this. Well, good news, Joanne. Um, Nicole (laughs) says, also would be interested in this. It has been mine and others' experience. And then Anne said as well, I've heard and experienced this. I didn't know this happens until I worked for a toxic company with toxic boys' club HR. Oh, do you get this, Shell? Of the HRs for the company, not for you? Yeah. Totally.
1: And I empathise with Dom as he's put this out there and there was a lot of likes in the Facebook community on this one. So I get the sense that people agree and want us to talk about it. For me, Sarah, there is a few things. So number one, it comes down to HR's reputation. HR has had a reputation of being the disciplinarian. Yes. It's kind of like going to the principal's office. Like People feel like, oh, if I have to talk to HR, I'm going to the principal's office. And so I totally understand Mm. the view that, well, they're there for the company, not the employees.
2: Particularly traditional HR has kind of come from that place of being personnel and all they really did was employee relations and payroll potentially. So there wasn't really any focus on proactivity or culture or positive things. So maybe that is just a bit of a hangover from old HR.
1: Yeah. And I think as HR professionals, we have to take ownership over that and say, Mm. well, yeah, we need to change that reputation. It's on us to make sure that we actually um, communicate the purpose of HR. And for me, HR is not about being a disciplinarian. It's not about being, you know, doing all the stuff that, the leaders don't want to do, like ending people's employment. Good HR is actually about building an amazing culture and employee experience so that people thrive and the company achieves its
2: goals. Yeah, exactly. Of looking at the company goals and saying, how do I help the company meet those goals? How do we get there? What are all the things that are stopping us at the moment and how do we fix those issues and and build an environment where achieving that is possible? Um, I have a, an interesting anecdote here. I found... A couple of years ago when I was single and on the dating apps that you know how some of them list your job or you have your job title on there I had to change it from HR to something else that was like unclear what my job title was and I got more matches as not HR no way yeah people really have a massive stigma against HR and it's horrible (laughs) oh my gosh oh my gosh okay
1: it's horrible but you know what HR have to own that and we have to change it up Mm. and be different to what we've been in the past. And I think it comes down to trust. The employees, and this is so prevalent everywhere I have worked or clients that I work with, employees don't trust HR. Mm. And so how do HR teams change that? And this could be a rant in and of itself and I won't go down the rabbit hole with it. But I guess what I'm trying to say to Dom and to Joanne and Nicole and Anne who all all contributed is if you have a good solid HR team, they are not there to protect the company. They're there to help the company grow and get the right people in the right roles. That's what they do. And it's really starting to go, okay, well, what assumptions am I making? Mm. What assumptions am I making about the HR team? Am I thinking this because of the bad reputation or or do I actually have evidence to support this does this HR team are they trustworthy is that people and culture leader someone that I think I could have a confidential conversation with and it not get back out to everyone
2: yeah and and just even the day-to-day kind of interactions you have with your HR team of oh HR's here we better stop having fun um if other people start doing that, you can kind of pick that up without actually having anything to back up. Like, well, they've never told you off for anything. Why, you know, where does that actually come from? So I think it is good to question some of those assumptions, but look, I've definitely worked with HR practitioners who have a pretty old school approach and who do say, you know, stop people in the hallway and say, you shouldn't be wearing that top. And you're like, oh God, this is not helping our reputation. So I get where it comes from but just give us a chance.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's testing. So working out, how do you test those assumptions? Well, sometimes you need to be brave. And if you've got a live issue, Mm. let's say that you've noticed a form of harassment or bullying, something significant in your organization. And you think this is something I might need to take to HR. But if you're reserved because you think, well, HR is there to protect the company and this is going to actually Put me under fire. Mm-hmm. I'd encourage you to test the assumption. Yeah, why not go and this and people can, don't realize they can go do this. But why not go to your HR person and say, "Hey, look, I'd love to have a confidential conversation with you about some mm-hmm. things I'm seeing in the workplace. Can we do that?" Yeah, and they'll tell you upfront, no worries, we can do that. Or they might may say, "Look, we can have that discussion, but if there's things in in this conversation that you're going to raise that." are alarming or that mm. they raise for me that there's some big problems, then we are going to need to escalate it. Well, then you can make your decision based on that. Yeah.
2: yeah. And you can also raise something, again, I think people don't realise you can do this. You can also raise something without it having to be a complaint or a big deal or something formal. You can just say, hey, I, I had a question about, um, you know, this particular policy or whatever. What do you think of that? Like go to them with something smaller to see, what the reception is that you get um, and use that small thing without it being a formal complaint or anything that's a big process to work out how helpful are they, how friendly are they, how, um, you know, what answer did you get?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it's really interesting now where we're seeing this shift in the type of focus that HR are having and the type of I- impact HR are having in the business where a lot of what they're doing is, is trying to build a great culture. Mm. And so if you've got in your mind when you're dealing with a people issue or a team issue at work, if you've got in your mind, okay, what do they want in most cases? Mm. They want to build a good culture. All right, well, if someone on my team is bullying someone, will they be interested in that Yeah, absolutely <laughs> Yeah. They will absolutely want to know that. And often what happens and I can attest to this so many times over my career is HR have a vibe but they're actually waiting for someone to come yes. and raise it.
2: Yeah. And they can't do anything. Or there's like, there's other priorities, but you can bump it to the top of my list. And it doesn't even have to be something like bullying and and harassment and things like that. I think that's where people's minds go, but it could even be something just like, look, um, we don't feel very supported by our manager. It doesn't have to be really extreme. It can just be, hey, we've had some resignations in our team and I think people aren't happy because we're not getting X, Y, Z. Um, That information can be really helpful too, again, without it having to be any kind of a complaint, but just going, hey, what do you think we should do? Is there any advice? Can you give some training?
1: Oh, that's so good, Sarah. I love what you're saying, in that it doesn't have to be this really high stakes issue.
2: You don't have to wait for it to get to that point.
1: Yeah. And in fact, if we had more of those smaller conversations, we would have, I think, a healthier culture because things would get traction earlier.
2: Yeah. And also, if we know about that stuff, the next time there's a conversation about succession planning or who are we promoting or whatever, we have more information about how our leaders are going. So, it's helpful for us to have the full picture of what's going on out there.
1: I'd love to just, uh, Rogue, this is my question to you and this is not on the list. Um, What are some of the, if you can think of some of the positive meetings you've had, because a lot of what people associate with HR is negative. Mm. I'd love to know some of those meetings that you've had with staff that are things that might surprise some of our listeners, like where a staff members come to you with something that, people wouldn't normally associate with HR that's that's more positive. What's that been like for you in your role?
2: Yeah, I the way that I try and approach this is whenever I start in a new business or looking after a new area or something like that, I want to make sure that I get to know people and hang out with them and spend time in their area before I have to for any particular reason. I don't ever want my first visit to somewhere to be like, oh, we're restructuring or some of the 1% bad things that we we have to do sometimes because I want to get to know that team. And so I'll proactively go and spend a day sitting with them, getting to know them, chatting to the team, understanding the team dynamics and the culture. And you just get to hear from them on who's been there a while, um, what challenges are they having with things, uh, what might improve their day-to-day work life. You even get a real sense of their personalities and what they care about. And I know this might sound Strange and, and small, but a lot of that stuff really helps me inform what activities and priorities we do. If we're looking at rolling out, okay, um, we might need to improve our uniform process or something because people are really upset that they don't have new uniforms and they're taking a long time. Like that's what people are really caring about. Or if we were going to do, you know, an Are You OK Day event what would people want that to look like and i can only know what that stuff should look like by getting to know people properly and by understanding actually in this organization everyone's very health conscious so they actually probably don't want the donuts and cupcakes they probably want like more of a like a barbecue raw, raw like a lunch or something yeah and it's not soft drink it's actually water and kombucha and or whatever that is or oh we've actually got 50% vegetarians in this company or this area really love their Red Bulls. Um, So that would be a good surprise for them. So those are the kinds of things that are the positives that come from proactively getting to know your teams.
1: For me, one of the things that I would do a lot of in any of my HR roles was having those regular meetings with people that might be coaching meetings and coaching Mm. conversations. So someone uh, regularly met with me that wanted to get into a leadership role, but hadn't got there yet. And yeah. so we were working, I was working with her to say, okay, well, here's the things that I think you need to be doing. Here's some stuff you can be working on and we'd catch up quarterly. And that was just of her own accord. And mm-hmm. a lot of HR business partners, they're doing regular leadership coaching with people. So yep. it's not that you have to have this negative situation to go to HR. Mm-hmm. You can actually go and have those positive interactions, which will help you again, going back to that, testing those assumptions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Next question was from Cooper and this is a good one and this had, again, a number of likes in it. When do you go to HR versus fair work versus the unions versus the lawyers?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Fair enough. I guess it's like you need to – I'm assuming here Cooper's saying he needs to go to someone, he's just not sure who and when. For me, there's a bit of a hierarchy, I think. Manager first um, and I'm not sure if you agree with this, Shell, but unless there's – a reason why you can 't or you don't feel comfortable, your manager's often the first port of call, and um, that's something that you should that you should try first then for me, after that it's kind of h r um, fair work can help if you have been terminated, underpaid, had adverse action taken against you outside of that. They're probably not the best um, support service, even in terms of bullying and things like that. There's not a lot that they can really do. Yeah. you Have you dealt with much with unions? I haven't had a huge experience working in unionised workplaces.
1: No, I'm the same uh, as you, but I 100% agree. You go to your manager first. Yeah. Like try to solve it. Now, I know it's challenging if your manager is the problem mm. and for a lot of, lot of people they would have had this experience where their manager yeah. is micromanaging or they've got some – you know, behaviours that are not aligned with the culture. And I get that can be a challenge, but I'd still encourage you, the first step is to try to solve it. And that's why, you know, you're seeing the employee grievance policies. It's always, number one, talk to your Mm. your manager or talk directly to the person you have the issue with. And if we flip it, let's flip it for a sec. If you and me were working together, Sarah, Mm. and you had a problem with me. Yeah. And you went straight to HR, how would the trust be between you yeah.
2: and I? Exactly. Yeah. Or and, I called and I, Glenn and was like, I've had an issue with Shell. <laughs> I need you to fix it. He'd be like, uh, have you asked her? Like, again, if you just put it in a human context, you can kind of see how that feels a little bit off.
1: Exactly. He'd probably just say, yeah, get in line. Everyone's had <laughs> an issue. <laughs> but yeah, we're dealing with it. <laughs> yeah, we've been dealing with it for three years. But I think... You're so right, like deal with it on a human to human level and I want you to really overcome, I guess, that thing of get uncomfortable, like mm. be okay with getting uncomfortable because that's actually going to save you a world of pain. The discomfort of you and me, Sarah, having an initial tough conversation is a lot less uncomfortable than if it escalates to HR and then my boss hears about it later.
2: And also you've still always got that option for escalation if it doesn't go well.
1: Totally. So... I guess what we want you to hear, Cooper, is step one, talk to your manager. Mm. If nothing changes and give it space to allow for change, like if it's a significant thing, change takes time. So give yeah. yourself some space just to see if they change mm. or you see some improvement in whatever the dynamic is. But if not, then talk to HR and you might talk to them initially just to get their advice. You're not necessarily yeah. raising a complaint. It's like, yeah. hey, I've got How
2: this would challenge. you go about this?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about the fair work thing for a sec. Mm. I'd love to know your take about how going to fair work
2: impacts the dynamic and the employment relationship. Um, I think people feel comfortable that they can Google things and get an answer from fair work and know their rights. And I think that's really important because... To be honest, Australia has a very complicated industrial relations system and all the awards are very hard to understand and interpret. So if you're talking about awards and you need help kind of interpreting that so you go into that conversation prepared, great. Um, I do find some people use it, well, I've spoken to Fair Work and you're like, "Uh, okay, well, that's fine. You can do that. That's okay. It doesn't actually change how I'm going to deal with you or talk to you at all, but it's good that you know what you're entitled to. Um, Typically, though, I would say they're they're really advice only unless – you've had something happen where you're underpaid and they can take action. If you've been terminated, then they can take action. Or if you've had, you know, adverse action taken against you again, which tends to be something like termination um, or demotion or something like that. So there's not really much they can jump in and get involved with outside of just providing you with advice has been my experience.
1: And a word
2: of caution
1: from me, and this might go down like a lead balloon, but <laughs> I want to say it anyway because it's important. When you say, and I had this happen a, a while ago with a client I was working with, and mm-hmm. when an employee comes into a meeting and they drop the fair work bomb, mm. it really gets things with your employer on the defensive. Yeah. And it does not do you any favours. Can I just say that again? Like, it does not do you any favours. So, what I want you to do, because it's it's very adversarial, I think that's yeah. the thing. and. Yeah. What I want as a HR person but also as a leader and a manager, I would feel like, hey, if they're a good boss, they want to do the right thing by you. They don't want to screw you mm. over. Yeah. So uh, unless you've got a really toxic environment where you actually, you're, they're not they're not paying you correctly, there's some really mm. sp- big dynamics that you absolutely need to follow up. I think bringing in the fair work bomb to try and negotiate can be – really damaging for your relationship.
2: And and I'll just say this, I think people feel powerless in those situations. And I think they use it to, to, to try and maybe scare the employer to go, I have power because this person, you know, this organization's on my side. You already have power. The whole system is set up to protect employees, really, realistically. And so you already have that going for you. You don't need to add anything to that, you already have those protections without having to bring in any threats. That's a good word,
1: threat. And that's what it feels like. So, it feels like a threat. And and as soon as you bring in that dynamic, in any negotiation, in any complex discussion, it gets people on the defensive, whatever the scenario is. If your employer threatens you to terminate you, well, that's of course going to get you on the defensive. Yes, so, it goes, exactly. it goes both ways. So, hear me when I'm saying I want you to get the best outcome and I think the best outcome in complex employment situations mm-hmm. is to have a really authentic and open conversation. Yep. Now you may say, hey, look, I was just looking at on- online at the award uh, and I can see on Fair Work it says this and I'm being paid this. Yep. That's fine but it's just the way that you communicate it.
2: Yeah. Well, I've spoken to Fair Work and they've said X, Y, Z and you're like, okay, well, look, we're, pa- we're going to pay you your legal entitlements. Again, you don't have to threaten anything for us to, to comply with that. So again, and it just, it, it puts the employer in a situation where they're going, okay, it's going to be hard for me to have a, a, a logical conversation or a calm conversation here. And so maybe we have to go a little bit more formal to make sure that nothing's getting misconstrued and we're, we're to make sure that we're being careful almost as opposed to, you know, you'd normally just pick up the phone and have a conversation with someone. Um, okay, well, maybe I'm going to write you an email now because we've, we've turned into this us versus you thing.
1: Us versus you. You're so right and and the formality. You tend to, you, yeah. you're 100%, it always raises the formality and when that yeah. happens, the resolution of that conflict
2: gets extended out. Because it's, it's back like, and forth and I have to be careful about what I write and because I'm I'm worried that I have to be really, really clear and, and yeah, it, it takes a lot longer as opposed to just being able to have a conversation about it. And I think use those services for information, um, go in with the idea that you're trying to solve a problem calmly, proactively together and if that doesn't work, then you still have those options available to you.
1: It reminds me, Sarah, of that Brene Brown quote that it's us versus the problem. Yes. Like not putting the yes. problem between us. And so when you're thinking about your employment relationship, if they, if you have a problem, put it on the table and and try and solve it together, not me sitting across from my manager and it's me versus them. Like it's yeah. just a mindset shift. It just helps you to approach it in a – different way. And it really helps to de-escalate that conflict.
2: Yeah. And a lot of times we can get a resolution without needing to bring anyone else in. And I guess that kind of brings us onto the union question. And my thoughts here are, obviously you have to be a union member. I I feel like some people maybe don't know that. If you're not a union member, typically their services aren't available to you. Um, So if you want to use your union for something, you need to be a member. And my advice would be, if you're going to pay for it, make sure you use it. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah. I don't really have much more experience with unions than that. So that's that's where I'd leave it.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I think when it comes to getting a lawyer, I would look at that when you've got a really complex scenario. So let's mm. say, okay, and as an example, your organization might be trying to terminate your role, but really your role's redundant and you're entitled to redundancy. Mm. Or some kind of complex thing that if you don't follow that up properly, then you might miss out on a proper payment or something. It yeah. is
2: Although I would throw in there, and this is what my thoughts were on this, pretty much all common cases, even that one there, the employment landscape in Australia is really set up for employees to be able to navigate without representation. You don't need a lawyer to go um, through an unfair dismissal case. You don't need a lawyer to go through adverse action. Again, potentially sometimes it might be helpful. People certainly do. Um I'd say the exception is maybe like a contractual dispute where it's about the employment contract and not about unfair dismissal. I think then you'd really need to look at lodging in a court or something separate, but you can go through it by yourself. You, I, don't, I don't know that most times you would need an employment lawyer.
1: Great. Yeah, that's a really good call out. And even thinking – now, I love that you called out the contract the contract disputes. So, Mm. let's say in your contract you have a restraint of trade.
2: Yeah. And you
1: finish up and you want to work quicker than that restraint allows. So, let's say the restraints for three months or six months, then that might be where you need to get legal advice. So, love that distinction and I agree in most cases we can absolutely resolve without the, the need for escalating it. Let's take a break now. And when we come back, we've got a question about who do you go to when HR is the problem?
0: Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning
1: how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics.
0: So, go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use
2: code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
1: Okay. So Trent asks, serious question. Who do you go to when HR is the problem? I'm going to uh, handball this one to you,
2: Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Okay. I think this is if HR is the problem, but also some of these are just in general. Make notes, document things. It's something that we tell to managers and it's also something I would tell to employees as well. You make everyone's life easier if something has to get formal in the future, if you've got notes and records of things. So even just, you know, emailing yourself something of like, hey, I witnessed this today, I saw this, this happened, whatever you've got, a note of what time phone conversations happened, things like that, can be really helpful, who else was there, et cetera. That can help you in the future. And even if you don't want to do anything about it now, maybe you could just document to feel like, okay, if this gets worse, maybe I've got an option. Have you like told people to do that or seen that happen before?
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on around taking notes. It depends on the team dynamic. Like if there's a few people in HR, maybe mm. finding a different person.
2: Yeah. So if yep. you've
1: got a particular HR business partner that's allocated to your business unit or whatever yep. and they're the problem, yep. well then how do you find a way around that problem? There should be someone else you can yes. go to. Their, their
2: boss or something. Their yeah. boss,
1: that's right. If that's not the case and it's just a single person or a really mm. small team and all of them uh, you, you don't trust any of them or you've seen there's been evidence to suggest that they're not helpful, then what I want you to do is – Go up higher. So maybe yep. you talk to an executive. Maybe you talk yep. to if That's it's exactly a sm- what
2: I said too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's a really good way to do it there are other avenues where you can raise the concern. So just going to some senior leaders within the business to talk it through can be really helpful.
2: And if you need to formalise it, put it in writing, send an email. Um, that can go to your one-up manager, the director, the CEO, the general manager, whoever that is, someone senior. It doesn't have to be to HR in order for it to count as a as a formal complaint. And once that's documented, if, so, if you're retaliated against or someone comes after you or something happens as a result of that complaint, you've got it like written down that you did that first, that you raised this issue. And then as a result, someone said, oh, you know, we need to restructure your area or something like that. So yeah, um, it doesn't matter who that's to outside of HR. That's
1: a really good point around making sure you've documented it as that Mm -hmm. way of protecting yourself. The other thing I think in there is you you don't know what's come before you. So I'm envisioning Let's say there's a really toxic HR team in the business and mm. maybe the senior leaders think it's a problem and they've mm-hmm. had three verbal complaints or, yep. or not even complaints. They've just had whispering around the organisation yep. of "Oh, they're not good, they're not effective, blah, blah, blah. And you raising it could be the catalyst to actually yep. remove the toxic person.
2: Totally. make the change. Don't underestimate the impact that you can make. Even like in an engagement survey, like an employee survey, I I know people sometimes feel like nothing happens off the back of that. Big things I've seen change off the back of those surveys. People's opinions flip on who's getting promoted, what the succession plan's like because of the feedback that people put in. It makes a difference. And
1: I love that you've brought up surveys because I see a lot of people feel really hesitant to share openly in those surveys Mm. because there's a – and I think there's sometimes that genuine fear of will they track who's saying what. Yeah. And so I wonder (laughs) – for me, I've run so many engagement and culture surveys Mm. in my time and honestly I can't tell you how complicated and how time-consuming it would be to figure that out. And in most cases, it's impossible to work out
2: who said what. Unless you've identified yourself. That's the only way that I've seen people go, oh, well, in in this location, the admin team, something or other, and you're like, okay, well, there's only two of you in the admin team. So like <laughs> you, like they did it themselves. But uh, it's one of those things where you just, you can't say it enough that it's anonymous. And that I know people aren't going to believe me, but but it is. And I don't know what else we can do to say that it's anonymous, but... Just give it a chance.
1: <laughs> it's anonymous. And the other thing is use that tool as your opportunity to help bring about change. Because again, you could be one of 50 people saying the same thing and all of a sudden it's like, boom, we need to make a big change. We've got big problems here.
2: Yeah, Yep. And keep your responses if you need to out of the comment section. And if you feel more comfortable doing it that way and just putting the truth in your rating scales, great. That's still helpful. Awesome. Okay. Where are we going next? So our next question comes from Liz, and this is a big one. She said, bullying of you and other staff members by your supervisor or line manager when you're all in the vulnerable position of being on fixed-term contracts and reliant on them for employment and future references. Bullying involved criticising uh, people to other colleagues behind their back, being overly negative and critical about their work in front of them and in the front of the whole team. Colleagues known to be found crying in the toilets over the supervisor's behaviour. They're in academia and most people are doing a four-year PhD with this supervisor or are reliant on his funding for their fixed-term postdoctoral employment and they're usually on contracts. When and how do you report this to HR to protect yourself and others from this behaviour given that this will very likely result in the termination of your employment contract and PhD students who are technically not employees unlikely to be able to change supervisor midway through their PhD research project. Ooh. Wow. It's really complex.
1: There's so many factors. There's, I'm really noting the power imbalance as well here. Yeah. Usually you've got more of a, I guess there's not this really strong dynamic of like their funding, the contract dynamic, the fact that you're doing a PhD research project, it'd be really, really difficult to change supervisors.
2: Academia, I've heard as well, it's one of those places that I would not want to be in HR. I've heard that it can be really challenging to manage the behaviour of professors and things because potentially if they are very well esteemed in their field and they bring in a lot of research funding, that can outweigh some of their behaviour sometimes and people get away with stuff I've heard. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, Let's let's dig into this a little bit to
1: talk to Liz about what she can do. And I mean, in all of this stuff, there's all this advice Sarah and I can give you about what you should do, but it really comes down to what you want to do. Yeah. Like, what do you want? Because if you want to, I mean, for me, I wouldn't want to try and get a contract there if that's the dynamic like I'd want to finish my PhD if that's my priority yeah but I don't know that I'd want to be employed there because that sounds so toxic to me now I'm not in academia I don't know all the ins and outs and I imagine getting jobs is difficult but I just think that's just not an environment if that's how it works and there's been Mm. lots of people who've had that experience
2: before you I and I completely agree with you Shell and I think I sometimes find this challenging because I come from a place of being very pragmatic when I'm giving advice to people, um, particularly like in this situation, and it can come across sometimes as though I'm condoning the behaviour, which I'm absolutely not. You shouldn't have to be in this environment. But in terms of giving advice to someone who actually exists like Liz, well, yes, you should be able to complain to HR and it all gets fixed, but is that actually the way it's going to happen? You've got to think about yourself and what's going to be the best result for you in all the circumstances, not in some hypothetical world that we unfortunately don't live in.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I would be looking at what's happened in the past. So, using that to inform how you make your decisions. So, if this has been a long-term thing, which it sounds like it has been, I'd be talking to other employees to understand, okay, has anyone who's gone before me tried to address this? And if so, what has happened? If they have and we've since had a HR change, like let's say there's a new HR leader Mm. or something, well, why not give it another go and see what happens? But approach it in the ways we've talked about first. So you might approach it. If there's bullying, that is a really serious thing and we don't want to just, like you said, Sarah, say, well, that's how it is, deal with it. That's not Mm. what we're saying. But we're wanting you to think through what's your ultimate outcome? Like you want to finish your – I imagine you want to finish your research project. Mm. So what's the best way to get that done? Okay, well, I keep going with what I'm doing, but I might have an off-the-record chat with HR yep. to say this is, this is what's happening. I'm finding this very stressful. Now, again, you document the conversation yes. so that you have that in writing so that they can't terminate you later on the basis of a complaint. Yes. Yep. But you're just taking those steps to test Is this set in stone
2: or is this issue actually able to be changed? Yeah, completely agree. And I I thought, you know, is there someone else that you trust, maybe in another department or another senior person who you could just chat to, to say, hey what do you think I should do? And get their input from someone who's been in the organization and seen how things worked. What do they think? Is there someone else as a head of department that you might be able to speak to? Or is it HR that's the best place to go? Depends in some organizations, you know, what's going to get you the most traction. I also suggest documenting things, keeping notes. Again, if you decide not to do anything right now, you may change your mind later and you may want to remember what dates things happened, you know, what, when was it that someone was humiliated in front of everyone? Um, and I would also say that if you do go more formal with that complaint, put some put some thought and, and time into what the content of that complaint is. I have seen this sometimes before in these kind of bullying complaints and issues where it kind of becomes just a bit of an info dump of every single thing that this person's ever done. And some of those things to an HR person looking through the lens of what constitutes bullying, some of those Incidents in and of themselves aren't a, inappropriate. In a in a whole string they might be, but try and focus on, okay, what are the what are the three key things that I want to talk about? Or is there one particular incident that happened? And it should have affected you, not this person bullied that person and they were crying, but you didn't see any of it. Does that make sense? Like pick something strong. If you're going to go forward with a complaint have a think about what you go forward with it's going to make HR's job easier if you've got that thought through.
1: Yeah I love that of picking something you've actually kind of experienced or seen yeah. firsthand so it doesn't need to be that it's directed at you but you've seen it firsthand yes. outplay and yep. you can be a voice or an ally for someone who maybe has been bullied and again you want to show the repeated like sometimes we think oh well the one-off incident but We also need to know that bullying is this thing of it's repeated behaviour. Yeah. So how do we not bring up and do the info dump of every single thing that's – and there's a lot of hearsay in there but maybe you've got a couple of strong points like you might have two things that you've seen that really validate the pattern of behaviour. Yes.
2: Yeah, correct. And it's not to say, you know, don't include things. It's more just if you come with something like, oh, well, I've seen two different people crying in the bathroom and it's because of the supervisor – Oh, there's not a lot I can do with that, don't lead with that. You can include it, but like give me something that I can investigate to prove, um, okay, this situation where they humiliated someone and X, Y, Z people were there and it was unfair because of X, Y, Z reason. That's going to be much more useful to, for me to look into rather than someone said they were crying because of a supervisor.
1: Yeah, that's a, oh, so good. I love it. Really helpful advice. All right. So our next question is anonymous. My boss is a micromanager and seven out of 10 people have resigned. No one has gone to HR because we don't want to rock the boat. So instead people just leave. Mm -hmm. I don't like my manager, but I love the business and the job. So I want to stay, but I don't want to deal with the fallout of going to HR.
2: Oh, Yeah. Micromanager. It's a common one, I think, unfortunately. Um, And I think it happens when managers don't have the tools that they need and they just try and control everything. So uh, my thoughts here were, is there someone who's about to leave who's resigned and can they do an exit interview for you? Can they help you out on the way out? Because that person is already leaving. Is that an easier way rather than you having to bring it up? Who's going to stay? Can they raise some of these issues?
1: Yeah. And- If you've had 7 out of 10 people resign, I guarantee you HR are aware of that. (laughs) Yeah, of
2: course, yeah. Like
1: they are aware of that and they're thinking what the heck's going on there but they may not have the insight. So Mm. you, again, I know I've said this on repeat but you could be the catalyst to get the change by bringing it up or like you said, someone in their exit interview raises it. I also ask how have you tried to address it already? Mm. Like have you talked to your boss about it? Have you talk to them about, hey, I feel disempowered in this role when you mm-hmm. jump in and um, get into the detail of my work. Can we work on setting clear goals? And then I'm able to have the autonomy
2: to figure out how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or I've, I've actually had some good success, I guess, managing a micromanager and getting them to back off. And, and sometimes I've had better experiences than other people in my team because of the way that I've been able to almost train them. Um, and essentially you, you build trust with them because sometimes a lot of the time that's where it's coming from is they don't trust the work that people are doing. And if you can build trust, then sometimes they might back off and leave you to it. So you can over communicate. I find that really helps particularly initially. Hey, I just thought, do you want me to, do you want to read through this email before I send it out? Is that okay? Okay, great ask for their advice for things, make sure that they're never caught off guard without information or without being told about something. Hey, this happened. I just wanted to make sure I let you know first. And they can start going, oh, well, I know that if something happens in Sarah's area, she's going to tell me. So I don't feel the need to be in there as much. And sometimes they can give you some breathing room off the back of that strategy.
1: That is so good. I love that. Like you Probably feels like a lot of mental load and work, Mm. but ultimately, you get the outcome you want where they start to back off.
2: Yes. And you don't have to like point out their behavior to them and have that awkward thing where they don't think they're a micromanager, but they are. And some of that stuff I found really, really works. And I've had other people in the team going, Why doesn't this person do this to you? And I'm like, Well, because I make sure that any time a little thing happens, forward, FYI, you know, that they know that. Hey, I'll come to you, so it's okay. You don't have to keep asking me all day. Totally, love it. Again, you shouldn't have to, but like, you know, what's the result we're going for here? Can you get that?
1: Yeah, what's the outcome? Mm. Let's say you go to HR and you raise, look, we've had a lot of turnover in our team Mm. and you raise that you feel that your leader needs some development and coaching on their leadership and that they're a bit of micromanager. I'd suggest to your HR team, hey, would we ever do a leadership 360 for our Mm. manager? Because sometimes it's that they haven't had the feedback Yeah. and are there ways that you can get the feedback and the outcome? Because I've seen micromanagers totally turn around because they've done a, a 360 degree feedback survey where they've gotten that feedback of, you know, you're a bit controlling or you get in the detail or you don't trust some of your employees and having those blind spots raised to life and brought brought to the surface, that can be the game changer for their leadership development.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. And imagine, this is like my worst nightmare, imagining that I had a team that were thinking this about me, but I didn't know for whatever reason. Oh, I'd want to know.
1: You would want to know. Oh, totally.
2: All right. We've got time for one more question and we're going to wrap it up. This one's anonymous as well. Um, it says, My boss makes a lot of subtle sexual jokes. He's been in the business for 15 years. Oh, of course, it's a he, and is one of the senior managers. It seems like it's been tolerated, i.e., that's just him. He's harmless. Do I go to HR if no one else has? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, my first thought was, Do you feel comfortable saying something? And it doesn't have to be some big formal conversation. It could just be, Hey, you know, the other day when you you made that joke about, you know, someone laying down or whatever, I, I just, that made me a little bit uncomfortable. And I wondered if you could maybe, you know, not say those kinds of things at work. Uh, like if you felt comfortable, you can approach it in a really non-confrontational way.
1: I had a friend of mine do this uh, not that long ago, actually, where one of the team members, it wasn't the boss, but it was one of the team members was making just some, sexual jokes and a lot of people laughed at it but a lot of people were uncomfortable mm. and so I think when we get uncomfortable we kind of go into that mode of uh, you know those awkward laughing moments yeah. where like, uh, but really a lot of people were put off by what yeah. he was saying and she's such a gutsy bold person and I have so much respect for how she handled it and she just pulled him aside and it had been going on for a while um and eventually she's like, I've had enough of this. I know everyone hates it, mm. but no one's saying anything because we're all awkward. And so she just grabbed him and said, hey, look, like, I just want to let you know that I don't like when you say that. Mm. And it, put, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And when he heard that, he was surprised because he's like, oh, but everyone laughs. It's yeah. like, well, no one knows what to do with it.
2: Yeah. No, And, and I think... If the person's never been given the feedback, I think this is a lot with like blokey type cultures is when there's positive reinforcement, the behavior continues and maybe they've never been told that this is making anyone uncomfortable. And I mean, I'm reading between the lines here, but if everyone else hasn't said anything, maybe this person is actually a good person and doesn't mean anything by it. still doesn't make it okay. But potentially they are the kind of person who would go, ah, oh, I didn't realise. I'm so sorry. And that's exactly what happened in this scenario.
1: They Mm. immediately, that's completely, immediately stopped. And she didn't need to go to HR. She, She just handled that independently. Now, not all scenarios are like that and if it's, particularly pervasive, like if there's a group of people that are doing it and mm-hmm. you feel like, well, this is a cultural thing, then that's when I would diagnose. I'd probably go to HR if it feels like a kind of systemic cultural problem within a team yeah. because you may need more help to get that culture change as opposed to one person yes. who you can have a conversation
2: yeah. with. Yeah. And I said, you might need to do a vibe check on how protected he is and how that might be perceived of um, of you making a complaint about their star person or whatever it is, but you can also have a chat with HR as we've said, without it being formal, and just ask for their advice. Hey, do you think I should chat to him about it? There was just this couple of comments, and again, make sure you you've got hey, there was this comment that was these words, and this comment that was these words. Again, that's going to help HR understand how inappropriate and what's going on there. And could it you could you maybe chat to them again if this person is. Otherwise, excellent at their job, really lovely, good to deal with, except for these jokes. Potentially, could it be kept anonymous and dealt with in a different way? Maybe HR could talk to you about that. Could they run, roll out some refresher training on <laughs> equal employment opportunity and, and um, you know, d- um, harassment in the workplace and things like that without it being specifically targeted to that person is that something that they could do to potentially subtly give you some words later to go, oh, hey, didn't we learn about that in training? Totally. Yeah, no, I love it.
1: Hey, we've covered so much ground. Mm -hmm. We've had so many questions and I know this is going to be helpful for anyone who's in a tricky situation right now that's umming and ahhing about whether to go to HR. So thanks so much, Sarah, for joining us on this episode. Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime, please come back. And I know I already said before we start recording, do you want to come on more (laughs) regularly? I would love
2: to tell people where they can find you and your podcast. Yeah, sure. So my sister and I have a podcast called Interview Boss and we focus on not the HR side or the career side, but the job search side. So you can find us wherever you're listening to this podcast, Interview Boss or um, Interview Boss on Instagram as well
1: amazing get on it all right if you enjoyed the episode as always we love your feedback give us a five star rating and review and share with a friend who's got a tricky work situation I know they will thank you for it talk soon we acknowledge the Awabakal people traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past present and emerging we extend that respect to aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast
0: Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So, go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast.